Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I'm here with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hello! Hello, and today starts another multi-parter for us, so that is very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. It is one that's been just because wanted to do for a long time. We had a miscommunication or else we probably done it like two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. But it's totally fine, so we are here, we are going to do it. So yeah, basically what our game plan is for this month of September, we are doing a multi-parter of the O.J. Simpson case, the murders of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. And we decided these are pretty much going to be all the Monday episodes, minus listeners, I think. Yeah. And some Thursdays. Yeah. You're going to get a lot of OJ. It's at this least month. a five parter, guys. This <laughs> yeah, is where we're that, at that's right where now. we're at so far. You guys know how we do. But before we get into all of that, if you are new here, hello, welcome. Thank you for checking out the show. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at Three Spooked Girls or X, whatever. I'm, not, I'm never going to remember to call it X, but you guys know what I mean. It's, it's fine. <laughs> And you can find Jessica and I each on Instagram and threads that is all linked in the link tree for you. In real time, the submissions for gift for the gift exchange for Secret Satan are almost done. Friday. So Friday. Yes. The set. What day is that? What number? Eight. The eighth. So if you haven't signed up, you got to go to the Facebook group. That's in the link tree, too. Or it's Three Spooked Girls Official. Go find it. It's pinned. Ashley has been helping me with like reminder posts about it Mm -hmm. and all of that good stuff. I don't know where we're at right now, but like we're at almost 200 the last time I looked. So holy shit. Holy shit. Crazy. And I love that so much. I'm going to be the mean disclaimer person right now. Guys, if it's September 9th and you're joining the group and you're like, I want to. I'm sorry. It is a lot of work putting this together. and. We have a really great support system mm-hmm. with our mods and Ashley as our other, other admin. Mm-hmm. But September 8th, we understand yeah. if you're new, if you're listening to this for the listening to us for the first time ever on September 9th, there's always next year. If mm-hmm. this goes smoothly, we'll probably do Secret Santa. So 
something. Yeah. Just hang in there. But please, please refrain from messaging us asking yeah. if we'll make an exception because no, the answer is <laughs> the answer is already no. It, it's too complicated. It is because once you start, I'm just going to let you guys l- let you know, we do this all by hand. It's all yeah. like we we do it. And yeah. once we've already like gone through and matched everyone and done that, it's hard to like mm-hmm. add people to it. So mm-hmm. we're really sorry. If you miss the deadline, you miss the deadline. It closes as of midnight. So like you have until 1159. I'm not mm-hmm. going to pull it until then. So yeah, you're totally good. So plenty of time, plenty of time. And if not, we do we do smaller ones. We did a what two mug exchanges? One, mm-hmm. two. We've done book exchanges. Book well. exchange. Yeah, we've done all kinds of like little stuff. I think we did like a Valentine Day card one one year. Mm-hmm. We even did a like bloody Valentine exchange yeah. before as well. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever find that you're just trying to fall asleep, but your brain suddenly won't stop talking? Do your thoughts start racing right before bed when you're trying to sleep? This happened a lot for me because, as you guys know, I deal with anxiety, so my head, before I went to therapy, was definitely keeping me up late at night. But I found out, it turns out that one great way to get those racing thoughts to go away is to talk them through. And therapy gives you the place to do that so you can get out of your negative thought cycles and find some mental and emotional peace. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash SpoofedGirls today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash SpoofedGirls. So, you know, there's there's all kinds of fun stuff, all kinds of fun stuff. And that's always in the Facebook group. So if you're in the group and you see a we don't try to do it very often, but if you see the annoying notification from the at everyone from us, it is it's announcements usually. Yes, actually, always <laughs> it's a, it's just announcements and stuff we don't want you guys to miss. And speaking of that, there is also still time to get tickets for our fifth Potiversary virtual live show. We are doing that on September seventeenth, which is our actual anniversary. It's going to be a great time. We, if you guys are OGs, we have decided to do a revisiting of Waverly Hills. We covered that almost five years ago. It was one of the, it was the first one Jessica and I did by ourselves. So yeah, so we were like, that's full circle. We love that. So yes, so now that's out there for you guys. We won't reveal anything else, but get your tickets. Come hang out with us. It's going to be a great time. And yeah, thank you to everyone who's bought tickets so far. And if you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls. For as little as a dollar, you get one bonus episode a month. Sometimes those are video. Sometimes we do the all tier in video. Sometimes. Sometimes like for August. Yeah. For July and August, we both did. Yeah. And then October is the usually a given unless there's like some big thing happening in our lives because costumes, obviously. <laughs> We did Tiger King, my favorite. I think everyone's favorite. If you, okay, and if you're you're a newer patron and you missed the Tiger King themes video we did, 
Go find it. Go find it. (laughs) You need to go find that. It's just to let you guys know, Tara and I were like, we're going to talk about Tiger King. And she's like, cool. I'm like, we should wear costumes. And we were like, yeah. So we both (laughs) Yeah, we had tiger onesies. And I showed up looking like a full on tiger. And then I had, what's her name? Carol Baskin's like wig and little like flower crown thing going on. And that was that. (laughs) Jessica. I had the full, like, I did a full It was awesome. No, I loved it. (laughs) I just didn't even know it was happening. (laughs) I literally was like, I didn't tell, like, I sent Tara a preliminary picture and it was like, just little. It was like like, around your eyes and stuff. Yeah. You know, I think I did that. I did like a couple lines and I did whiskers. And then all of a sudden (laughs) it was like, I came on and my face was orange and yellow and white and like it was full on tiger and Tara was like, what I the love fuck it just happened? so much though. Oh my God. It's, it was great. It's, it's great. But yeah, so please come hang out with us and check out all the good stuff over there if you so choose. So with that, we're going to go ahead and dive in. Today, we are going to discuss the backgrounds of Ron and Nicole. And then the next episode, we will get into OJ's background and start in on the crime that occurred and all of that stuff. Going to be a big, a big series. It is. (laughs) All right. Let's go. Let's do it, Jess. Go. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to be talking about Ron Goldman, or his name is Ronald Lyle Goldman. He was born July 2nd, 1968 to Sharon Ruffo. I believe that's how you say her name, but we're not going to really, we're not going to care too much about Sharon. Spoiler, Mm. Sharon, not a nice person. Okay, I figured. And Frederick or Fred Goldman. If you followed the case, you will know Fred because he has that infamous giant (laughs) mustache that is like... Yeah. It's huge. (laughs) (laughs) They lived in a suburb of Chicago, which was Buffalo Grove. The Goldman family practiced Judaism, and so Ron and his sister, who would be born a few years later, were raised in the Jewish faith. Speaking of Kim, it's his little sister. She was born December 26, 1971. And it was said the two were really close. They would play together. Like, you know, he was kind of the quintessential big brother. Mm -hmm. He really loved his little sister and really just like, she'd be like, play Barbies with me. And he would be like, okay, fine. You know, that kind of stuff. And I just, I'm going to let you guys know, I listened to her book. I just finished it a little while ago, Mm -hmm. actually. It's called Can't Forgive. It's by Kim Goldman. Just though, if you want to know, like the story that she tells isn't an OJ murder telling Mm -hmm. it is about her brother ron and then kim's life Mm -hmm. but i will say as someone who's experienced grief in her life this book was like i I don't know it like helped me in some weird way like thinking about yeah so 10 out of 10 would definitely fucking recommend it's can't forgive by kim goldman love that so in 1974 ron's parents so sharon and fred would split up and at the beginning Sharon had custody of the kids and she moved into this apartment and that like it was said that Ron and Kim like shared a bedroom because it was like a two bedroom apartment Mm -hmm. and the kids had fun with each other and then Fred had visitations like regular scheduled like the kids saw him a lot Mm -hmm. 
it didn't take very long for people in the kids' lives to realize that they weren't thriving. Ron, who was, you know, kind of a studious kid before, became really, like, disruptive and, like, acted out in school. Mm -hmm. The kids just didn't seem to have that, like, happy-go-lucky personality that they had. And people would tell Fred, like, you know, the kids don't really seem that, like, happy right now. And then, like, he would call because he would call often as well as, like, see them. Mm -hmm. They would just be so excited to talk to their dad. And the only time that they really seemed truly, truly happy is when they were going to go see Fred. Mm. And people were like, there's something going on here. And the truth was, is that Sharon was very neglectful of the kids. She didn't really pay much attention to them. She just kind of wanted to do her own thing. And here's the thing. Some people are not meant to be parents. Mm -hmm, I say that as I had a mother who was not meant to be like Mm -hmm. a parent. Yeah, She's a great bonus parent, but was never really meant to be apparent mm-hmm. so because of this like the kids aren't thriving fred's like we need to get the kids into therapy so sharon and fred take the kids to therapy and they're doing this for a while and kim tells in her book about how like they would go in and out you know and so sometimes like ron would be in the room with a parent and then she'd be out in the waiting room and back and forth and it was always kind of at the end the therapist would talk to the parents Well, one day they like separated the kid, the Sharon and Fred went in and the kids were in the waiting room. And she tells this really cute story about how she wanted to play checkers, but like really she didn't want to play checkers. And Ron was like, fuck, I just want to play checkers. So, (laughs) (laughs) and so then like Ron played with her a little bit and then he got annoyed and then like went to draw or something like that. And then she was like building, like, I think she had a Barbie with her. So she was like building like thrones and like castles and stuff for her Barbies. Which I was like, that's really cute. Mm -hmm. But Kim says she remembers the therapist came out with her parents and it was decided that the kids would leave with Ron or with Fred and that Fred would get custody. And they were like all on the same page because Fred talked to the therapist and he's like, there's something wrong with my kids. And so the therapist was like, yeah, they're not thriving. So... Fred actually moved into the apartment that Sharon had with the kids because he figured this would be the easiest transition for them. And his apartment didn't actually have like space for the kids. So he moved in and Sharon moved out and Sharon had visitations. And in her book, Kim talks about how her and Ron, you know, they would get really excited each week to see their mom. And She at first was like, showed up every week, picked the kids up, and then suddenly excuses like, oh, I started my laundry too late and I can't get away to come get you, or Mm. my car ran out of gas, or the cat is sick, or whatever story. Mm -hmm. And so like, I guess at their apartment, they had like a balcony and the kids would like sit at the balcony and like, I'm assuming because they were little, they were like four and eight or four and seven or whatever. They would, like, stick their legs over the balcony, like, because it had, like, a wrought iron. Mm, Like, they could fit their legs, yeah. Yeah. And so they would, like, wait. And, like, they would get really excited when they would see, because I guess their mom had a Camaro. And so, like, her mom would, like, their mom would pull in and they'd get Mm -hmm. real excited to see her. But then after a while, she stopped coming. Mm. And they would just sit out there. And then eventually they'd hear the phone ring. And it would be Fred getting the excuse that Sharon wasn't coming. Yeah. And so the kids just were, like, really sad about it, but Fred made their whole lives great. Like, one of the things that she said, Kim talks about in the book, is, like, when they would go to therapy, after therapy, if they had been really good, like, if they had, like, talked and they'd participated or, you know, they hadn't misbehaved, 
Fred would take them to like Baskin and Robbins. And oh, so they that's always cute. had these like really cute little family things they would do. And mm-hmm. Fred really, truly fucking cared about his kids. Like yeah. he really wanted them. But something really scary was about to happen in their life. And that was one Friday afternoon, Ron, because Fred was like a salesman. Mm-hmm. And so he'd have these like housekeepers that would like come over. Sure. And so one day they got home from school. And Sharon was there, not a housekeeper, but like Sharon mm. was there. And they were like, Duh, okay, but they're like eight and five years old or younger, you know, so right. it's like, they're not going to question what's going on, but mm. they're really excited to see their mom. Yeah. And basically Sharon was like, your dad doesn't love you. He doesn't <gasps> want you anymore. We're packing your stuff up and you're coming with me. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. So then she just like literally stole the kids Mm -hmm. took them i believe to like her parents house or like a family member's house Mm -hmm. and fred comes home from work and he's like in the book he basically was like every day he'd barely get through the door and the kids were like dad's home you know and he got home and he was like kids i'm home and there was like nothing Mm. and then he like yelled again and there was nothing oh my god and is in a panic because he's like, nobody's there with the kids and like, because they're like eight and five and there's no one there and there's no, no kids. So he calls Sharon to be like, oh my God, Sharon, did you come get the kids? Where are they? And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have the kids. But she was like, fucking calm. Uh, And so he was like, uh, fucking lies. uh Sharon, just to let you know, you should have acted panicked. That's that's what gave you away. You should have been like, oh my God, where are my kids? Yeah. But she essentially, <laughs> no, like, I don't have them. Right. Oh, I don't know where they are. It's fine that like, you came home to an apartment where your kids should be and they're not there. Literally. Ron's like freaking out. He calls Sharon's sister. Sharon's sister's like, I don't know where the fuck they are, blah, blah, blah. And then Ron is freaking out. So he ends up calling his, divor- his divorce attorney and he is like, where the, f- what do I do? And the divorce attorney is like, look, dude, you just have to chill. Yeah. You cannot do a single thing this weekend. Right. I'm going to go to court Monday morning. Well, Fred can't do that. And Fred had a girlfriend at the time. I believe her name was Joan. And Fred and Joan, like, went and, like, staked out where they thought Mm -hmm. the kids were. And the kids were playing in the front yard. So he could, like, see them. Mm -hmm. He didn't do anything, but he could see them. So he knew where they were. Mm -hmm. Fred's lawyer goes to court Monday morning and gets, like, a court order to get his kid. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Also to note, Sharon was dating a cop. Oh. So she thought... She She was just above the law. And also the cop thought everything was above board. Like, he was like, okay. But yeah, so he gets an emergency full custody. And here is an excerpt from the book. Mm -hmm. And this is from Kim's point of view, mind you. She goes, The faint sound of my father's voice yelling, Give me my kids back, reverberated in the halls and in my mind. The housekeeper is an overweight woman who's wearing an all-white pantsuit. She smells like a mixture of cotton candy and, bar- and barbecue and wears bright red lipstick, which is always uneven. Ron and I muscle out from behind her as she manages to hold us in her clutches at the top of the stairs and as we watch my dad peer through the glass door, which separates us. She shouts back, I'm not going to let you in. Get out of here or I'm calling the police. My father, who quickly retorts, go ahead, and he slams the court order against the door so she can see. You better leave immediately. You aren't supposed to be here, she screams as she digs her nails into my chest. Daddy, daddy, Ron and I yell in unison. Ron somehow wrestles himself away from her tight hold and runs downstairs 
to let my father into the building. My father throws his arms around my brother and squeezes him tight. Holding his firstborn's face protectively in his hands, he asks, Are you okay? And then he motions for him to go to the car where Joan waits uh, with open arms. Realizing my father isn't leaving quietly, the housekeeper quickly pushes me back inside and tells me to hide until she comes for me. Don't move a muscle, she orders. She slams the apartment door shut and locks it behind us. Ron, unable to contain his excitement, stands beside the Thunderbird with Joan while my dad storms the building. I hear the housekeeper on the phone. She must be talking to my mom because she's frantically repeating what's happening. Ma'am, you need to get home now. I'm really scared. Can you hear him yelling? If you don't get here now, I'm going to call the police and let them handle it. I hear pounding at the door and my dad yelling, give me my daughter now. I don't know what she's doing or where she's in the apartment, but it has nothing to do with letting my father in as his yelling booms on and on. I demand you open the door and give me my daughter. And then his screams abruptly stop. There's a deafening silence. They left me. I think as I twist Dolly's hair around my tiny fingers, still trying not to move a muscle. I can't hear anything anymore and I expect the muffled sounds coming from outside the bedroom where I'm waiting. It's so dark. A tiny shaft of light comes through the slots of the closet door where I'm hiding. I peek through and see, see if I can see anyone. There's nobody there. Only my mom's kitty cat sprawled under the bed without a care in the world. I sit quietly, stoically, not making a move, not uttering a sound. I'm behaving like a good girl, obedient and compliant, unwittingly cooperating with my own abduction. My mom is dating a police officer. He always refers to himself as Officer Mike, so that's what we call him too. My mom must have called him to, quote unquote, handle my dad. When Officer Mike arrives, he tries to defuse the situation and he saunters up to my dad with a staunch of arrogance. Sir, you need to leave the premises right now or I'll arrest you for trespassing. When my dad flashes the court order giving him immediate custody for us, there's nothing Officer Mike can do except oblige. He tells the housekeeper to step aside and help collect all our personal items. Next, I hear the frantic screams of my mom, who is now home. Put those clothes, those toys down. Fred, you have no right to come into my house. Mike, I want you to arrest him now. Sharon, he has a court order and I can't interfere with a judge's ruling. Look, it says right here, he can take the kids home. And then my dad is standing right in front of me. He finds me huddled on the floor of the closet in Sharon's bedroom. I'm crying, scared, and clinging to Dolly. I was a good girl, daddy. I waited right here like I was told. I didn't move a muscle. He picked me up and held me in his arms so tightly, a hug that I don't think I ever felt again until we would bury my brother 19 years later. Mm. Oh my God. This is the first really big, crazy thing that happens in Ron's life. Yeah. I mean, granted, it is told through the perspective of his sister, but that's because Mm -hmm. it's who we have to tell the story now. Ron, after that, didn't want a relationship with his mom, which obviously you can see why. She just kind of let them down too many times. Flash forward one t- another time, Sharon tried to convince Kim to leave her brother and Fred and <gasps> basically tried to turn her against Ron by saying that Ronnie was a troubled kid. And Ron actually really hates hated being called Ronnie because that's mm-hmm. what Sharon would call him. Yeah. But basically... She took her to lunch one day and then basically told her that mommies and daughters need to be together and that when she got home from summer camp in six weeks that she was going to come live with them and that she was going to ship Ron off to, like, boarding school. Oh. And so Fred would have no one. 
Wow. Yeah. Sharon is not stable. Yeah. So Kim said she felt really like bad about this, but she ended up confiding mm-hmm. in Ron. And then he and they went and talked. And so the three of them were really, really close. They spent a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of times in their past when Kim was about three. So that would make him about six years old. Fred had cancer and mm-hmm. like lost his mustache and the kids didn't understand like what happened. Aww. And then it happened again when they were in their teens. Like they mm-hmm. had just moved to California and he had a relapse with that. And so they really just kind of like, you know, really solidified mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Kim and Ron have another traumatic experience oh. later. I know, this poor family. When he was 17, mm-hmm. before they moved to California, Fred was dating this woman named Patty, and actually he's married to Patty. Oh, love that. <laughs> yeah. And they went on a vacation together to Fort Lauderdale because Patty owned a condo there. So they went there, and Patty and her three kids, and they were all really young, were staying at her condo, and then Fred and his kids were staying at a hotel. I think it was, I don't know if the condo just wasn't big enough, I'm not really sure, but that's how it was. And basically, Kim tells a story like they wanted to go and have some alone time. So they were going to mm-hmm. drive her kids back to the condo and then his kids back to the hotel. But as they're driving to the hotel, a drunk driver blows out a tire and hits, drives up on a curb and hits a tree. The battery of this car dislodges and flies across the street into the Goldman's car and explodes. Oh my god, that is like final destination shit. That is so horrible. So both Kim and Patty end up getting severe burns. Kim had up to third degree burns on her face. And there (gasps) was like, she couldn't see for about four days. She couldn't talk at first. It was like a big deal. Yeah. What ended up saving them is there were like police and firemen, kind of like first responders, were in a restaurant right next door. Oh, man. So they were literally like, they see this happen. They rush out. They realize that they have battery acid on their face, which is what's burning them. And they start immediately flushing them. Otherwise, they could have had permanent damage to the point where they wouldn't have been able to see or have flesh. And I mean, Kim was a junior hire. Like, she was was just like 13, 13 turning 14. And this was like Christmas break. And her birthday is the 26th of December. So it's like, yeah, it's all this stuff. But Ron was said to be, like, the best big brother during this time. Like, he made her feel special and beautiful and, like, always made sure that, you know, she needed support. He was there for her. And I thought that was just beautiful. Yeah, that's so great. She talks about people, like, staring at her and she'd be like, ignore them. He'd be like, ignore them. Mm -hmm. You know, so he was, like, a really good big brother through this. Yeah. That's got to be traumatic. Like, he's literally, like, she's telling the story, like, she's hearing Ron yell at her. Oh, my Kim, like, what's wrong? Like, Dad, there's something wrong with Kim. Like, (sighs) I know, it's just horrible. Yeah. But he did pretty good in school. Mm -hmm. He went to Twin Groves Junior High. And then he went to Aladie. East Stevenson High School in Lincolnshire, Illinois, and he graduated in 1986. Wow. And then he he was a student for one semester at Illinois State University. He'd planned on studying psychology. So during like his high school and like early college days, he was really like socially active. Like he really was like he did volunteer work. He was a camp counselor. 
the camp that they went to for six weeks in the summer. The second year they went back, he went back as a camp counselor. And, you know, he also helped in a rehabilitation for disabled children. So, like, he really gave wow. back to his community. Yeah. He also played tennis and soccer on his, hmm. like, high school team. Mm-hmm. After Ron graduated from high school in, like, early 1987, Fred decides that the family's moving out to California. Now, Ron is an adult. Mm-hmm. He's 18. He could stay behind, but he chose to go with his family, which makes sense. They're so close. Mm-hmm. So they moved to Agora, California. And Ron was so excited to become a California boy. Like, all he wanted to do was become a (laughs) surfer and chase California girls. He was just so excited about it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because, like, there's this part in the book where, like, Kim is talking about how, like, her son reminds her of Ron. Mm -hmm. And there's this part where they're, like, walking down the street. There's these girls near the beach. And they're, like, basically, like, in shorts and Mm -hmm. short shorts. And their bikinis are sticking out. Mm -hmm. And she was, like, watching her son look at them. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, oh, my God, that's so Ron. Because he was just, like, (laughs) he was girl crazy. And, like, you know, so he was really excited. He was – it was really funny the way I wrote this. Because she's, like, he was super into, like, going to the beach and playing volleyball. I was, like – so he did beach. His job was beach. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm kidding. <laughs> but like, he just really settled into the California way of life. Yeah. He loved beach volleyball. He loved rollerblading. And this is like the 90s. So like, this is yeah, right, right during that kind of big oh, yeah. Venice Beach type vibe. Mm-hmm. When they first moved out there, Ron lived with them for a few months. But then he kind of was like, I think I need my own place. So he moved out, which broke Kim's heart. Aw. Because <laughs> she was so attached to him. Yeah. And then he started taking classes at Pierce College, which is like in the local area of Agora. Mm-hmm. Ron would work for like a headhunter. And he also was a tennis instructor. And then... He's most famously known as his job as being a server. And so he was a server around at various places in LA. He also did some modeling and he really wanted to get into acting. He also was like, I want to be on a game show. And he was on a game show. Oh yes. my God. That's it was great. called Studs. It's an American TV, according to <laughs> Wikipedia, Studs is an American TV show or game show that was produced by Fox Television Studios for local TV stations. The Mm. show follows the format similar to The Dating Game or Love Connection, although it provoked some controversy because the questions used usually relied on heavily sexually innuendo and double entendre. Mm. Before each show, two men would go on blind dates with three women. All five then appear on the show together, where the men answer questions about their dates and about women in a and like a and a round robin type thing. Mm-hmm. Correct guesses score stuffed hearts, and whoever had the most hearts at the end of the game was the ultimate stud. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I know. I was like, this is great. Apparently, like when I was looking into this, there was a presidential candidate. Like had three daughters, and all three of them went on the show. <laughs> it wasn't the same one, but I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that, like. Ron was like, I really want to be on a game show. And he was like, basically on, on, he was like on a, like a mini version of The Bachelor. <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> Shortly after the game show, he kind of caught the attention of one Jackie Bell, who is an actress. And according to IMDb, she played the whiskey girl in the movie The Doors. And she did a two episode arc on The Bold and Beautiful to quote Gilmore Girls. I don't know if two episodes, it's an arc. <laughs> 
and they would date for like two years. In oh, wow. fact, they would they would break up in February of 1994. Gotcha. So it was shortly before he met Nicole. Mm-hmm. Ron was ambitious. Like, dude was always doing something. He got his EMT license and then just didn't do anything with it. So I don't know if like he had thoughts down the road or if it was like one of those things where like my like a backup or not. Yeah. Yeah. He really wanted to open his own bar or restaurant and he loved the Brentwood area a lot. And he had a friend by the name of Jeff Keller and they actually like spent Memorial Day of 1994 like trying to or they were doing like club promoting so that they could Mm -hmm. get more into the industry and kind of get connections. Mm -hmm. So like he was really thinking about this. Ron met Nicole Brown Simpson six weeks prior to his death Mm -hmm. in April of 1994. The two were said to be friends. People thought they were more than that, but they both insisted that it was platonic. Basically, why people thought that they were dating is that Ron would borrow her Ferrari. NBD, take my Ferrari. Here you go. (laughs) I know. I was like... (laughs) Is it, like, not a good Ferrari? Is it, like, your backup Ferrari? Like, I'm very Still confused Still a Ferrari, here. either way. <laughs> Still a Ferrari. Uh. His friend Craig Clark was like, where the fuck did you get this car? And he's like, oh, it's my friend Nicole's. He's like, oh, your friend? And he's like, no, we're just friends. Mm-hmm. And the two would, like, were known to kind of, like, hang out. Sure. And they went to coffee and they went to dinner a few times. And we're going to leave them right. We're going to leave Ron right here. Yes. Because we are caught up to where we need to be for next episode for Ron. Yes. I love this like back and forth. Like after like I started doing my notes, I'm just like, I love how we're kind of like bouncing a little bit with the with the timeline of all of this. It just it works. It works. Great. (laughs) All right. So we're going to go ahead and talk about Miss Nicole. So, Nicole Brown was born in Frankfurt, West Germany on May 19th, 1959, making her a fellow Taurus. Her mom was from Germany. She was known as Judith or Judith. Her father was Louis, who they like instantly fell in love. Louis was actually from Kansas and he joined the military. So his service brought him over to be stationed there as a correspondent for the American Armed Forces and Publication Stars and Stripes. So that's how they met. And they got married. They fell in love. They obviously had Nicole. I do want to preface one thing really quick. If you guys listen to our Barbie and Ken Killer series, this Nicole's background is basically how Carla's was. They had to scour. Because it was a lot of the same stuff like everywhere. And it, right. it wasn't a lot. So it's just like, you know, it's frustrating that there's all this stuff on other people. Like all the bad. It's the same with a lot of big cases. Like it's always a ton of info on the perpetrators. But the yeah. victims just get swept by and it just makes me so mad. I think I lucked out because Kim wrote a book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually I found a book that has like Nicole's diaries like one of her friends wrote it I oh is it Faye what's her face mm-hmm. no we don't believe a word Faye oh no 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 Faye that's what I'm trash. saying like that was like the only one really which so it just like yes I did not have <laughs> the resource you did as far as that goes but it's fine yes. I just wanted to preface that just so y'all knew too but yeah no no I didn't 
it's there. It's sitting still and audible. So <laughs> yeah, that that book. I was like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, no, don't recommend this to her. Because uh, I remember I watched the People vs. O.J. Simpson on Hulu, which mm-hmm. I do recommend watching. It's it's good. Oh, to, it's yeah. a good mm-hmm. program for sure. Mm-hmm. But I remember when they were doing that and like they show the scenes of Faye writing the story. And it was just like, it just made no sense. People were like, that didn't happen. Like Chris mm-hmm. Jenner was like, that is not real. And you know, I believe Chris Jenner. <laughs> we love Chris Jenner. <laughs> Love, hate relationship, but mostly love. <laughs> it's true. But yeah, so anyway, I just wanted to preface that and also kind of like voice the frustration with that with it's just not right. It's just not right. So like I said, her parents fell in love. They got married. They had her. She actually has three more sisters that the Browns had. They had another daughter while they were still in Germany. But when Nicole and her sister were toddlers, they the family moved back to the U.S. I'm assuming he was done with his deployment. his deployment. And they ended up settling in Garden Grove, California. Fun fact, that's where I was born. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> right. And here is where they had their other two daughters. And I believe it's Tanya. So I watched a really good, it was like a 2020 Dateline special on this. And I believe it's Tanya that's on there. It was really good. Kim's on there. It was I liked it a lot. It was really interesting. It came out like in literally in 2020. So it's like one of the more recent ones. I just love when the Kardashians, they roll the Kardashians out for these things. It's just it makes me so. Oh, yeah. Chris was in it. Oh, yeah. Chris was in it for sure. Oh, you meant Kim Goldman. I'm sorry. My bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Not Kim Kardashian. No. She is mentioned, but we will get to that later. Okay, so the Browns, you know, they're in Southern California. They have their house full of girls. <laughs> and, you know, they're just they're just living life. And basically, everyone adjusted really quickly, really well. They all loved it. They were a beach family, for sure. They said Nicole was a big beach goer herself. Like, they would go on long weekends, on regular, like, they'd go all the time on regular weekends, birthdays, barbecues, all that. They they were always on the beach, and Nicole especially. Her sister said it was just one of her favorite places to be and just somewhere she, like, purely enjoyed. So, you know, I mean, can't blame a girl because the beach is pretty nice. So for high school, Nicole ended up attending two different ones. She went to Rancho Alamitos High School her first two years. And then after that, her family relocated and she would graduate from Dana High School in Dana Point, California. They were basically, they had moved to Monarch Beach is the area they were living in. And I mean, everyone thrived. Everything was great. Nicole was said like she had such a positive magnetic character to her and everybody loved her. She everyone had nice things to say to her, even people she meets, you know, later on as an adult, like different celebrities and, you know, things like that. Everyone always said Nicole was a nice girl, like she actually cared what, you know, you had to say. So she was always very nice and welcoming as far as that goes. So she, fun fact, was crowned homecoming princess in 1976 at Dana Hills High School. That's cute. 
Yeah. And her teachers liked her as well. They said she was bubbly and always happy and smiling and just like very eager to like be proactive in class. And, you know, she always talked about like having goals when she grew up and things like that. And everyone just I mean, she is she is a very beautiful woman. So like everyone thought she was just super pretty her whole life. She is gorgeous. So, yes. Now, fun fact, so her graduation ended up being the day after her 18th birthday, so May 20th, <gasps> but before you were born, because <laughs> it was 77, so, oh or 76. Wow, so, yeah. like a full 10 years. Yeah, crazy, right? And after this, she decided to move to Los Angeles because she wanted to pursue a career in photography. Her sister on the documentary had said, like, she was super passionate about it. She loved it. She just was, like, super into it. So she went down there and, you know, she was making contacts and things like that because, you know, she thought L.A. would be a good place to start for that career for herself. But, of course, with these type of industries, you know, you got to have other means of income until you get going and whatnot. So she worked at a clothing boutique for about two weeks, but then she got hired at. Daisy or the Daisy, which I started looking into it because I like didn't really know anything about it. And I found a really interesting article on it. The website's gonna I'm gonna read what the article that they wrote real quick just to give you guys a little side history fun facts. But Jess, you're gonna like the domain name so much. It's I am not a stalker.com. Okay, I love that. <laughs> yeah, because this person they it's like a blog and everything. So definitely check them out. Like, I think they get, they go like other places. I don't know how old this was, but like, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So Daisy is a club. We'll get into that in a minute. But originally, it was constructed as just like a private residence back in 1941. And two years after that, a famous restaurateur dude from Russia named Michael Romanoff, he enlisted architect Douglas Honnell to transform the dwelling into a nightclub or a lounge. And this became like a Hollywood hotspot for sure and everything on that. So all kinds of different celebrities and like old Hollywood people had been there. Cary Grant, Humphrey Bogart, Charlie Chaplin, F. Scott Fitzgerald, like all kinds of people. Like it was a poppin' fucking place. So Romanoff's, that's what it was called, it moved over to 140 South Rodeo Drive. And one of the most famous pictures with it is like Sophia Loren in it and stuff like that. So it was like a big fucking deal, right? Mm -hmm. Then it moved again. And this time it would be turned into the Daisy. And this was the first members only disco to exist in Beverly Hills. So like very exclusive type of stuff, right? I like that. Right? I know. I'm like, that's so like interesting because obviously we were not around. So I did not know any of this. And so they would have a fee when they joined. They had an initiation fee of 250 bucks. And apparently they only had 400 spots for the membership. And uh -oh. people did not even care because 
more people that went to this place was Steve McQueen, Robert Redford, Sonny and Cher, Warren Beatty, Julie Christie, Mia Farrow, Natalie Wood, who we've talked about before, and so many more, honestly. Like the list that we got from our not stalker friend, they have a full comprehensive list of like everybody there. So like pop and fucking place, right? Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting? I actually found too was that Aaron Spelling met Candy there. Oh. Yeah. They like were the oh, place. The T. They were on dates with other people. I love that for them. Right. Um, and Frank Sinatra got into a terse exchange with writer Harlan Ellison there over a pair of boots. So I'm like, interesting. So it's a really cool place. It's a really cool place. Like I said, go check out that source because they got more info on that. But I just kind of wanted to share that because I was like, wow, that's really, really cool. But to kind of bring us back up to the 70s to get us back up there. So basically, like in the 60s, it started kind of like declining as far as like popularity Mm because a bunch of new clubs were popping up, right? So it closed for a while. It closed in 1970. And that's when it was purchased by like a someone who wanted to do like a health food restaurant type of thing. That didn't work out. So they closed the building again. And then in 1976, Brian McLean was a founding member of Love. He decided to open a Christian nightclub. So at this building, yeah, and it was interesting. It was popular for a little bit. Until people figured out the rules that you could not dance or have alcohol. So it closed within a year. No surprise. I don't understand what you would do at it then. Right? And then it was like, so the owner, this dude named Hanson, he was like, okay, no, 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 fuck this shit. So the Daisy ended up here. And this time, the initiation fee was 500 Oh. But, but... They did great with their like re-grand opening, rebranding shit that they did or whatever, because like literally it was it was popping like it was in the 50s. Everybody was fucking there. Yes, exactly. So this is where Nicole was working. Fresh out of high school. So we're in 1977. She's 18 or 19 years old. You know, she's a waitress. Right. And wouldn't you know, during her very first shift she catches the attention of O.J. Simpson. Of course. Yes. And keep in mind, O.J. is 29 at this point. And he's one of the club regulars here at Daisy. He even had a, a dish named after him. It's called the O.J. Simpson, but it's it's literally so weird. It's scrambled eggs and a sliced orange. That's it. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Does it come with right. a side of orange juice? It should. If it doesn't, then that's just missed marketing opportunities literally or like some kind of i don't or like a cocktail that has orange juice in it and they called it the juice like so many opportunities <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna say prior to his murdering people right i would have named like my mimosas after him right okay we're getting ahead of ourselves okay sorry, sorry. <laughs> so Nicole, she had no idea who OJ was. OJ, for those that don't know, obviously, we're going to get more. I'm going to go deep dive into his stuff next episode. But basically, he's like a sports. He was like, he was a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, people knew him, whatever. But she did not know. She didn't know anything like that. Sports. She didn't know. 
OJ was very married at the time. We will talk about all of that situation at a later time. And had been married for years at this point, but they began to have an affair. And within just a couple months, him and his wife split. She moved out and Nicole moved in. Killers and criminals are enough to worry about. No one needs BO too. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. It's clinically proven to control odor everywhere on your body, pits, privates, and beyond for a whopping 72 hours. That's a lot of podcast episodes. As an OBGYN, Lumi's founder, Dr. Shannon Klingman, met thousands of women concerned with odor below the belt. Through clinical testing, she found that it wasn't the vagina to blame, but bacteria on the skin. So she created Lumi, a skin-safe, aluminum-free deodorant that actually works, and works everywhere, with over 150,000 five-star reviews to prove it. And we have a special offer for you guys with Lumi. New customers get $5 off their Lumi starter pack with code SPOOKEDGIRLS at lumideodorant.com. I am a huge fan of the whole body deodorant. It is amazing. My two favorite scents were the toasted coconut and then also the lavender sage. And the whole body deodorant is the first of its kind. Lumi is seriously safe to use anywhere on your body. Pits, under boobs, thighs, belly buttons, butt cracks, and everywhere. And Lumi starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like the mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code SPOOKEDGIRLS at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code SPOOKEDGIRLS. And you're like, damn, that's fast. You would think that he would get divorced fast, but really, he didn't get divorced for two years. So he wasn't right. even divorced until 1979. I'm sure because there was children and all that other stuff involved, like, I'm sure it was messy or whatever. But like, like damn, two years? That's a long time. It's true. Now, I, I'm not going to go too far into their relationship right now. I do want to talk about, like, him and his upbringing before I get into that. But I do have some, like, kind of quick facts, kind of, like, start getting us that surface level on the timeline, kind of give you a sneak peek into their relationship, basically. It will make sense, I promise. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, they they moved in together quickly, right? But they actually didn't get married for several years. They were just, you know, they were dating together, living together, whatnot. And they would get married in February of 1985. And that was the same year that OJ was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and she was pregnant at the time of that event. And something you will see is there's a lot of what everyone saw, what they how they portrayed their relationship, and then the reality of that. And this happens, obviously, right away. So OJ had nothing but, like, great things to say about his wife when he accepted the reward. Or the award he had said, she, quote, came into my life at what was probably the most difficult time for an athlete at the end of my career. He then turns towards her and he says, you turn those years into some of the best I have ever had in my life. So there's that as an example. But the Simpsons, they were described as being, you know, 
they were a fun couple. Like they'd go out, they'd go to dinners, you know, they'd do all the things. They were very social people. But there was definitely red flags early on. So something OJ didn't like to do was let Nicole out of his sight when they were out. She did not have a lot of like actual deep, close friends. And there are individuals out there who believe that was done on purpose to isolate her for reasons we will get into. Makes sense. Makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in one of the articles, it was stated that the truth is no one really knew her during her marriage. She was never free to be herself or have friends. She wasn't available for that kind of intimacy. So basically, she would only be in, like, group settings type of thing. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned Kris Jenner because Kris Jenner and Rob Kardashian, they were friends with the Simpsons. Right. So, like, really close friends. Jessica sent me a fucking amazing music (gasps) video we have to post in the group. It has been Chris my Jenner did a music favorite. video for her 30th birthday. It's it the, has been oh my, my favorite God. part of like Kardashian Iconic. history forever. I love and it. I was like talking to Tara about it in a flippant way. And she was like, excuse me, what? Yeah, I had no idea this existed. So I literally like she sent it to me. I literally stopped texting her back until I watched the whole fucking I watched the whole thing. <laughs> I love my friends. You'll get it. Oh, later. my God. Yeah, you'll get it. Or if you know, you know. Oh, Lord. And then it was so funny because (laughs) I was reading the, I think I was, I don't know if I was reading the comments or what, but I ended up on something. It was like, that's how you knew Kris Jenner was like going to be famous one day. Normal people don't do this. (laughs) No, Kris Jenner, girl lives out loud and like, I'm sorry, like woman is incredible. Trust. I mean, I know she does things wrong. I know that she, the Kardashian family has a lot of toxicity around it. She's still a boss ass bitch. But she just got people to basically record this video. I don't know. Like she paid money. She had this. It was like her gift to herself for her 30th birthday. <laughs> and there's three Kardashian kids born. Yeah, I don't think Rob has been born. I think it's up to Chloe. Yeah, I think it's just the girls. Yeah, and it's... <laughs> I'm just like, I love, I love this. It was good. So fucking much. I do. I love it so much. It's amazing. But anyways, okay. So, you know, we're talking about Chris. She had told, you know, that quote was from her. This, she was on Ellen. She's been on, she was on that Dateline or whatever the heck I watched special. Like she's, she's been very vocal when it comes to this case. And she told Ellen that literally, like, since no one was close to her, nobody knew what was happening, you know. And she said, I didn't know that there was abuse until we heard and saw the whole thing unfold like everybody else and then heard the 911 tapes that were going to be used in evidence during the trial. It was heartbreaking. Me and some of her other close friends were all really surprised and shocked by that because we felt we really failed her as a friend. It was horrible, end quote. And... Other people that were friends with them, you know, they were like, yeah, problems started early. Like, he would cheat. She would find out. She'd get mad and confront him. And, you know, like, they would fight. And that was their cycle with that pretty much from the get-go. And people, people knew that. So if you're not familiar, he is also physically abusive towards Nicole as well. I'm not going to go into details. We'll go more into that the next episode. So trigger warning on that. 
So Nicole's sister, Denise, later testified that she was there when they got into an altercation. She said, quote, he ran upstairs, got clothes, started flying down the stairs and grabbed Nicole, told her to get out of his house, wanted us all out of his house, picked her up, threw her against the wall, picked her up and threw her out of the house. She ended up on her and then there's like a dash and then she says probably like her butt. She ended up falling. She ended up on her elbows and on her butt. We were all sitting there screaming and crying, and then he grabbed me and threw me out of the house, end quote. And unfortunately, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of horrific things we're going to get into in the next episode as far as reports made and evidence that comes to light and everything like that. So this is where I'm going to stop for this episode. We hope you guys learned something. I don't really like to say enjoyed, but like hopefully you learned something or you're enjoying our research on this. Like I never know what to say. (laughs) I mean, at this point, I would say this episode, I hope you did enjoy because it was like, yeah, there's a lot of things that the media, we've talked about this in the podcast before, like the killer always gets the, the press. They always get the deep background. There's always, I go back to Ted Bundy a lot because we go back mm-hmm. and we like, we know the names of his victims, but like, we don't really know who his victims were as people other than like, right. they were nice girls type situation. Yeah. And I think it, I think that's part of being part of this true crime community is refocusing the light from the killers to the victims and sharing their yeah. stories. And Tara and I are really passionate about that. Granted, the next four episodes that we do will be about OJ and whatnot. But don't you worry, Kim Goldman's coming back in some strong ways in later episodes. And yes, she's, she's my new hero. So I had like one more little tidbit I did want to mention too, because like everybody knows, like she had, you know, they had two kids together and all of that. It just like really like stuck out to me as important to mention because Tanya, I think it was Tanya that was on the documentary I watched. She said, you know, Nicole was a very hands on mother. She just loved her kids. She always put them first, as you guys will hear as we go into more details next episode. But like it was just so sweet and so cute because they were showing like home videos from like their daughter's birthday and like their Mm -hmm. son's birthday and things like that. And it's just like she said, you know, she always made sure to put like extra, extra care on everything. So like it was the best memories for her kids. And I just thought that was so sweet. So just, you know, it's so sad. It's so sad for sure. It is. Mm -hmm. But with that, we are going to go ahead and wrap things up for today. So our last installment of Barbie and Ken comes out Thursday, and then we'll be back on Monday to kind of continue our coverage on this case. So yeah, we'll see you then, guys. Bye. Bye. Three 
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. 